The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We're your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. Today we're going to be talking about the progression of our art, uh, kind of thinking about different styles that we've explored, and then how our business has progressed. And uh, we're going to get specific with you guys. Yeah, because we, we all started somewhere. And I feel like the the lucky of us have been able to start in a classroom with like a teacher or a master behind us, but like, what what was like like what was the first form that you did, Lindsay? Like you know oh, what I mean? God, I I made some really terrible bowls. Um, um, <laughs> we all made terrible bowls. <laughs> I I I think okay. So one of the first ones I remember making was because uh, I'm the little like nerd that I am. I made a bowl with the uh, Dark Brotherhood summoning phrase on the outside did. of it. Of course I did. You fucking nerd. <laughs> but it was funny, so like I didn't realize how glaze worked at the time, so I spent like yeah. hours like carving in the individual letters, and then of course when I got fired, like everything just smooshed together because yeah. I was working with glaze and not like under glaze. I put slip. black over it. Ugh. Yeah. It's like it should work this way, but nah. No, no, no. Yes, I made I made a lot of really terrible bowls. A lot of nerdy shit. And I was actually, I was very lucky because when I was in high school, um, the first semester that I took ceramics, I mean, the, the professor was, or the teacher was already like pretty laid back. Yeah. But then I had a friend who was in a grade above me who was, who like actually knew how to do wheel throwing. Yeah. And she was like, okay, Lindsay, like, I know that the teacher doesn't really have time to like teach everybody in the class this, but like, let me give you a little bit of help. So she was actually the one who first helped me like learn how to throw on the wheel before oh, I started. Yeah. There's always one, isn't there? Yes. There's oh always my God. one senpai in the class who's Thank like, you, Melina. Let, me, <laughs> let me show you how to get it done. Yeah. You, you know how you can't get right curves? Let me show you how to work this rib right here. Oh my God, that rib though. Yeah. <laughs> It'll save your life, I tell you. <laughs> so what about you? What were the first forms that you made? Uh, well, the, the way that I learned was very progressionary, right? So mm. my teacher, Yoshio Taylor, uh, bless his soul. He ain't dead. I'm just saying bless his soul. <laughs> he... He had a progression for the classroom for very specific reasons in the same way that I teach on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So he was like, look, you're going to learn how to center. You're going to learn how to open the well. You're going to learn how to even your clay out. You're going to learn beehive form, volcano form. You're going to learn how to cone up and down. You're going to learn how to pull a wall. But he made it very simple in mm -hmm. the way that like he would have us pull. He would also have us get five pounds of clay because it's kind of like tactilely what you kind of need when you're a beginner. Yeah. To get yeah. a hold on the size of the clay. Yeah. And then as you get better, you can go down to one, two pounds. It's a little easier to morph. But when he did, he was like, make a cylinder. And you know, much like the cups that we have in our hands right now. Yeah. You make a cylinder. That's what a cup is. After you trim a cylinder, you have officially made a cup. Yay! Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's your first. That's kind of your first step into pottery. So, and then we learned how to make a bowl. Yeah. And that was kind of the step that like, okay, you're taking that cup, you're taking that cylinder because most shapes start off from the cylinder form. That's why you learn how to pull that first. Yeah. And you're learning to stretch the clay body. Mm -hmm. And that's you know it, it was I learned to make those forms first because they were progressionary to the next step. Yeah. Much in the way that you kind of have to learn how to make a cup before you make a mug. Because making a mug is a cup with a handle, and that step is to teach you how to attach clay. Yeah. That's all that step is for, really, if you're in that progression. Yeah. So and also figuring out, like, drawing times oh, and things yeah. like... Like, I feel like you, when you're first working on handles, you learn really quickly that, like, if clay gets too dry, it's going to crack. Because, oh, yeah. like, if you try and bend that handle, it's like, oh, no. It's going like, to break. It's going to break. I still deal with that sometimes, like... 
it, I'll, I'll like I'll not realize how dry a certain pieces become and I try and like work it to get it to fit the mug and it's like well I, yeah. that, that's why you make extras when you pull a handle that is not see. your fault Lindsay <laughs> the weather in California is straight oh, butt oh my god it was 105 like five days ago and it's like 83 right now it's 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 confusing it's very difficult for managing like like I miss I miss the it's not winter. even summer it's not god I know well technically technically it's June now but yeah. like it got up into the hundreds in like the end of May, but oh god. Anyway, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's it's rough. So okay, I'll so I punch the sun in the face. That would burn your hand, Dante. Do not do that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it hurts. I tried one time, and then like I had to grow a new one. It took a couple weeks though. It took a couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so after after you've like kind of got some of the basic forms, like. How did you decide that you wanted to work with like larger forms? Because I think that's one of the things that I'm always like very impressed with with your work is that you know you make you make the cups, the the bowls, you know things that are kind of smaller, like items that are more easy functional to stuff. yeah functional work yeah. yeah. Um, so how like what is it about the larger forms that that interested you when you were like learning to work with clay? He made fun of me. Yeah. He made so he as being I, who? Yoshio. Oh yeah. He yeah. made so as I was saying earlier, I'm the kind of person that like, I kind of want to conquer or at least explore the thing that like not hurt me, but like people may, like if somebody's like you can't run very fast because you're 200 pounds, I'd be like I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's um I know it's like 101 child psychology, but I would make stuff that he'd be impressed with, and then he'd be like, oh that's very nice, Tim, and he kept calling me Tim. What? For like a week straight. And after a while, I was like, why do you call me Tim? He goes, because everything's tiny. tiny. Oh, my God. Tiny Tim. <gasps> yeah. Oh! And I think after that, I started making larger stuff. But again, as we said in the previous podcast, um, he, he realized that, like, you're the kind of person that, like, negative reinforcement makes you want to prove me wrong. You don't need positive reinforcement. For sure, everyone, everyone learns differently. For sure, everyone yeah. kind of does. But, like... A little bit of negative reinforcement goes a long way for a stubborn goat like myself. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I think he realized that and that's how I got into bigger stuff. But he did that he did that in order for me to make it a little easier for me to get into art shows mm. and really learn the art side because otherwise I think he knew that I was just gonna stay in the functional realm forever. Mm. You know? Much like the way that you do your sculptures. How did you get started with sculpture? But like did you start with the wheel? Uh, and then moved on to sculpture once you were like, F this circular thing. <laughs> No, I, so I kind of, the, the very beginnings, I was kind of doing both at the same time because the high school class that I was in, we had some projects that were hand built and then we had the opportunity to work on the wheel if we, basically if we wanted to. Um, and again, I had Melina to help me out with working right. on the wheel, but I kind of, so I started doing both, but like what made me want to pursue ceramics as a career was sculpture. Right. Um, and that's cause I, I have basically been making creatures all of my life. Like when I was like in elementary school, um, I had a cousin who lived in Kansas who is now a, uh, he does, um, the concept art and character design for right. like video games. Yeah. And, uh, he and I were, were pen pals for a while and I would send him my little doodles of the creatures I would make. And then he would redraw them in his style and send them back to me. And That's cute. it was so freaking, That's it was cute. adorable. Joey was awesome. But yeah, we, um, you know, so we, we always did that. And I always loved, you know, creature movies. It's just, I don't know, for some reason, it's like, it's always, I've always been drawn to monsters and I wanted to make them. And it's like, it's kind of, it's, 
it sounds kind of like weird or like over dramatic to say, but like I always kind of like the idea that like these creatures, these things that I sculpt exist in another realm and I'm just like the the translator giving them form in this oh, world. You are the god of your own universe. Yes. <laughs> no, that yeah. Makes, yeah, no. That makes Except that I don't want to be a god. I just want to be the translator. I want to be the gateway, the epic gateway you bringing wanna... cool shit into this world. No, I com no, I completely understand. <laughs> I I like to I like to think that, and this might be a little off topic, I like to think the same about video games. Yeah. How, like, developers, which, by the way, if you are an artist and you make, C if you make clay things and CGI and forms that, Lindsay, like Lindsay was mm. talking about, you draw them down, you are just as much of an integral part of a video game platform as any other artist. Like, I just want to make that clear that, like, if you like a show or a video game, please realize that that was an artist that made the high majority of those images. Yes. I feel like in that realm, they don't get any credit or enough credit, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I always like to think that, like, when a team gets together and creates a world much like a video game, mm -hmm. the, just the thought, the energy that they send out into the universe would would somehow make the possibility of that dimension being existent. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, like, it's... I know it's... It, there's no facts to prove it. But yeah. It just makes me happy to think that, like, my character is out there yapping people in the head. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel bad if my Sims characters actually exist, because I do some really, <laughs> really evil things to my Sims characters. Yo, but, you know... You guys are messed up with the Sims. Oh my gosh, I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that, that world creature creation is what got me into sculptures. One of the things I wanted to talk about on this episode yeah. is, like, some of the specifics of how your business grew. Because I think, like... Between the last episode that we've done and the other other interviews that you've done, you've talked right. kind of in like in broad strokes about how your business developed. And I remember being so frustrated when I was just beginning to make ceramics my like more of my full-time job. Or even like when I graduated college and I was like, okay, how do people actually do this? Right. Um, it was frustrating not having certain really specific information. Like, okay, like... When you were in this experimental phase of your art, like, did you have a part-time job? How did you navigate where you lived? Like, did you yeah. have housemates? Did you have, like, how did you navigate rent? Like, how do you choose what? Like, if you stay in the same city or if you move for, like, like, how did you navigate the early stages of your reach into this, into this field? So, so I, I'd like to, I'd like to start by saying that I think a lot of people usually go to school for ceramic artwork, they find out they like it, and then they end up, when they leave that area, either going to classes mm -hmm. or going to a studio, right? And that's kind of my case, except from I, not not so much anymore, but I definitely was a below-class boy. Like, I lived in a place called North Highlands in Sacramento at the time, where I was lucky enough to be next to a place called Alpha Fired Arts. Mm -hmm. And Yoshio at the time was like, hey, you've been here for about three or four years, I want you to kind of go off on your own experiment. I kind of want you to grow on your own. You need to get into the art world, and there's no better way to do that than to go here. So mm. his friend, Brian, who's the one who owns Alpha Fire Arts in Sacramento, yeah. he was like, yeah, $100 a month, come here, buy your own clay, buy your own materials, have fun. We leave you alone. You do what you want to do, and that's where I learned to start making my own glazes. Mm. That's, it, it literally was a playground of grow, like grow yourself. Yeah. You know, and I, I got to experiment. I learned how to make my Ron Roy's high gloss black there. Mm. A lot of people online d didn't seem so much to help me. There's this weird, off topic, there's this weird thing with people who are like, I won't share my glazer space. F you. And I get that to a certain extent because it's partly your life's work. But at the same time, there has to be some information out there. 
for people in your own community to grow. Or yeah. else you don't have a community after a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of where I ended up is I went there for about maybe three or four years. Yeah, I was at mm. school for about two or three years. School being Sac City or where did you go to school? Consumptive Server College. Okay. where Yoshio, Yoshio teaches. Oh, right, right, okay. And he's is and has been my only... He just retired, so he's no longer my teacher. But he was my teacher for a very long time. Mm-hmm. My mentor in, in definitely a way. And then I went to Alpha and stayed there for like three or four years again. Yeah. So by this time, I had been doing ceramic artwork on a good level for about three or four years. Okay. I was learning for about three years. By the time I got the basics down, I was able to play. Um, that's where I started to really play with the forms. Okay. And then right after school is when the Trump thing started that we named mm-hmm. in the previous podcast. Right, right, right. Where I was like, I'm just going to show people how to do stuff if my government's not going to do it for me. Yeah. So I'm curious, was that, was the studio fee challenging for you financially at that time? The hundred dollars a month? Yes, because I worked at the time at Dollar Tree as a store stalker mm-hmm. and I made very little money, but out of my own paycheck, along with supporting the apartment that was near there, I was living with my grandmother at the time. Okay. And she was thankful for it because I, I, I kind of took care of her in a way, but I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like, like. I was waiting on her hand and foot, and she's super old. She's she's fairly functional, mm-hmm. but anything she needed, I definitely helped her take care of. And I also didn't want her to be alone in North Highlands because yeah. it was da- it's dangerous over there. It still is, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, she she supplemented the high majority of the rent, and I took a hundred dollars from my own paychecks, mm-hmm. which my paychecks were maybe like three four hundred max at the time. God. Waking up at one a.m. going to stock the store, and I would give it to Alpha. So although I was working almost full time I still took my own money from my own paychecks and that's how I paid for that okay so I did both at the same time okay yeah how many how many hours a week were you working at Dollar Tree and how many how many hours like during that you said what two to three year period where you were at Alpha how many hours would you say a week did you spend at Alpha oh it was escapism for me Mm. as it is for many people probably listening to this so like I lived in I, I keep making it sound horrible, and it is kind of, on like a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 6 or a 7, like crime every night. But the area that I lived in was awful, but Alpha was like this little safe community huh. of these like older women who were very sweet and mother-like to me, huh. you know what I mean? And they were cool, but it was like two or three blocks away from my apartment, it was very close. I didn't realize it was that close. It was super, like oh Alpha was like a three minute drive away from me. Wow. It was super easy to get there, I got very lucky with the placements. You know, if, if there is a clay god that exists, he was like, I need to make sure he's close to a studio at all times. <laughs> Just on luck basis alone. But yeah, no, I, I stayed there for, well, they opened the studio at like 9 or 10 a.m. And I usually got there around 10.30 or 11 in time for lunch mm-hmm. with who I call the ladies. Um, and then you would leave around 6. Okay. So I stayed there usually 6 or 7 hours a day, I would say. And then you worked at night, is that right? And then I worked at night-night, like 1 a.m. Oh to like God. 7 a.m. Jesus. So yeah. when did you sleep? <laughs> I still don't to this day. I would, I would, I'm like, eternally, I'm like half convinced, guys, just, just being real honest, this whole podcast is me yeah. just eventually getting Dante to admit that he's a vampire who doesn't need to sleep. Vampires suck! <laughs> oh, God. Werewolf life! So, so you would work at Alpha from like around 10.30 to like six or seven. I needed to get home, shower, and not be smelly. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I pretty much, that's kind of where I learned to not sleep a little bit. Mm. And it definitely had a negative effect on my body. But like, 
I remember making the joke to you, like, <laughs> I just made a deal with the devil. Just went up to him and was like, I'll give you a day. And he'd be like, cool, I'm taking, like, a week off your lifespan. And I'm like, cool, sounds good to me. Oh, oh my God. I'm not trying to stay in this planet for way too long yeah. either. Just, <laughs> so this is a win-win in my scenario. Uh, see, my, my goal is to just ascend to godhood so that oh, I can yeah. just not have to sleep ever and just, you know. Just... I'd be a very one-sided god if I was. Okay, okay. So after after you left Alpha... And this is and... when I started the YouTube channel. Right, But I was right. not serious. I was just like once a month I'd, I'd be like, let me mess around on camera. Mm. It had no form, no no progression whatsoever. Okay, so at some point you started working for where you work for now. Yeah. And so uh, if the progression if the progression went it went from it went from Dollar Tree where I was at Alpha then it went to uh, there was one before Chipotle and then I worked I worked at a gas station for a long time I was like the supervisor of a gas station which was perfect because my ability to not be to sleep for like a couple days was like yeah you work the mid, you work the midnight shift the graveyard shift yeah and then you get up you go to Alpha <laughs> and then I worked at Chipotle. For a long time, for like four years. Mm -hmm. And those were mainly, I still kind of went to Alpha in those days. Uh, and then I am where I am now, which I won't say. Because you're so popular. Cause, no, not popular, because some of y'all be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all be crazy. So all this time, as you were working at Alpha, were you still working basically full time at these other these other jobs? Absolutely. Okay. I owe it. I have throughout my, I do not have an editor. Throughout the time I built my website, loaded my kiln, made my glazes, did the YouTube channel, I always had a full-time job throughout all of it. That's amazing. It's I just don't need to sleep as much as, like, I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to pay for it later, but, like, <laughs> later and right now. Oh, my God. So, so now you are working where you work now. Right. You are, you have your website where you're starting to upload work that you can sell more often. You have your Patreon, you have your YouTube. Right. How would you break down, like, percentage-wise, how do you spend your your time in your business? How many hours a week do you spend actually making, like, with your hands in clay, making work? How many hours do you spend filming and editing for YouTube? And how many hours, or just percentage-wise, I guess... Uh, do you spend doing other, like, administrative things, like, you know, figuring out taxes, figuring out, you know, it, I don't know, organization, business progression? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say because it's kind of all the time. Like, anytime yeah. I'm sitting down other than now and, like, when I'm eating, mm -hmm. I'm answering questions on Instagram, on my Facebook. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about posting. I'm creating content on some level. Yeah. You know, when I'm sitting down and watching TV, if it's like, you know when you play the family guy in the background, you're, like, kind <laughs> yeah. of doing homework? That's how I edit my videos, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So while I'm watching reruns of family guy on youtube for hours at a time uh, you know a good episode like a, a good fast episode that i didn't mess up on when i was talking to the camera took like takes like six hours to edit mm, okay and i do not have an editor um so many of the late nights uh will be that but with my hands in clay is not that difficult anymore because when i was younger making a bowl took like 30 minutes oh yeah you know what i, mean? I remember those times and now it's like Four? Yeah. But you do have to, it's backed up by all the all the skill and time and progression. What's that thing that you say? You told me the other day. Hmm. When someone's like, why is this bowl $20? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll say it's like, well, like start to finish, it takes, you know, 30 minutes plus 11 years of experience. Right. And that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing. And I just yeah. don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, it only takes you four minutes to make a bowl? Why oh, do I pay? Yeah. You know? No, well, it's true. Because it's like, well, even thinking about it, like breaking it down, sure, four minutes to just shape the bowl on the wheel. Then you have to trim it. 
then you have to bisque fire it, then you have oh, to glaze yeah. it, then you have to glaze fire it, then you have to sand the bottoms, then you yeah. have to package it, and you have to figure out, okay, like, how am I going to, like, price this thing? Am I going to sell it online, or okay. am I bringing it to convention? Should I be bringing it to a convention, or is it more worth my time business-wise right. to be selling just online? Like, there are all these business things that happen behind the scenes that go beyond just the four minutes it takes to, yes. like, shape the thing on the wheel. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not as simple as, I make thing, you give me pieces of paper with old slave owners on it, and... And then I, I have them in my account, and then I give those numbers to other people, and they give me food. Food. That is basically how yeah, That's basically it, yeah. yeah. There's yeah, just yeah. more steps involved. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's just more steps involved, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me, it'd be hard, yo. <laughs> yeah, and, and my, my, prog my progression was very, was very non-linear, but, like, how, how did you do yours? Because, like, your progression seemed more, way more thought out than mine was. Mine seemed like I was doing a thing until people demanded more of the thing. Mm. And then I was not forced to, but heavily incentivized to do more of it. Like, my website just opened up after, like, three years That's of YouTube. amazing. Like, considering that you have alone. <laughs> they wouldn't leave me alone until I opened up a website. You're so popular. No, it's... <laughs> But yours was very deliberate. Like, you you quit your job at a certain point, and you were like, I am a potter now. Yeah, and that actually is pretty recent for me. So, right. like, I went, I, I started ceramics in high school. I went to UC Santa Cruz from 2009 to 2013. And I studied, I got my degree in art, but I didn't really focus on ceramics specifically while I was there because they don't really have like a ceramics department. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just, I, you know, experimented with different media. And so they, uh, basically when I, when I graduated, I was like, okay, how do I actually like make a living now? And I, I honestly, I did not have a very good grasp of what I needed to do. I just knew that I needed some kind of job. So, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I think the the first job that I had after graduating was I worked at Chef's Olive Mix, which is an olive oil and balsamic tasting room. I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. So I worked there um, for, I don't know, between when I first started working there, because I worked there basically off and on for like three years. Right. I was working between, like, I think I started working like about 35 hours a week. And then by the time I was let go, I was only working like maybe 15, 10 to 15 hours a week. But yeah, so, so while, while I was working at Chef's Olive Mix, um, I had begun taking classes at Sacramento City College, which was basically kind of just as a continuing education because I was not used to not being in school. So I was like, okay, like I want to focus more on ceramics, but I feel like I still need to learn so much more. So I yeah. started taking classes there and, you know, probably I'm thinking I spent maybe like 10 hours a week there. Again, it's hard to remember, but like during that time while I was working at uh, Chef's Olive Mix, mm -hmm. that's about the, t the time spread. When I ran out of classes that I could take... Um, oh, because you will. Because I... Yeah, Cause you, you will. definitely will. You definitely yeah. will. In my school, there was a progression, and once you got past advanced, you could do... Uh, uh, like an independent study? Independent. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But after like two years of that, the school was like, you have to leave. Yeah. You have to go and be a person by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like... And I was lucky, too, because they... Like, even though I stopped enrolling in classes, I was able to be there as a volunteer. Yes. And that's actually where I learned more of the technical side of ceramics, yeah. because by this time... I had been working in clay for, you know, a few years, but I had never made a glaze. You know, I'd loaded... Oh, that's actually one thing I forgot. Uh, the summer before I went to college, I rented studio space at Panama Pottery for the summer. I remember that phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Marsha Schindler, who's a local artist here, helped me, like, learn the very, very basics of, like, how to load a kiln. So I had loaded and run a kiln before, but right. it wasn't... It, I did not have expense 
extensive knowledge on it. So I learned the, the technical side of the ceramics by volunteering at Sac City. Eventually, I, I ended up actually spending almost a year not working because my sister passed away and I was right. lucky enough to have amazing family support. Yeah. So that for about eight months, I, I only, like I didn't have to worry about working and um, my family like helped me pay my bills because again, at that time, um, I when I graduated from college, I lived with a, a housemate in a duplex for a couple, for like a year and a half. Right. And then I moved in with uh, my partner and we've been living together for what, like five years or something like that. But we were again lucky because right. our rent is super, super low, like yes. it's way below market rate. And that has made a huge difference in what I've been able to do. It's so hard to find that in California. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, I'll go into that a little bit more in a second, but... Basically, during those eight months where I wasn't working, I was spending more time at Sac City and then began the process of converting my family's garage into a studio space. It started out with just like a, like a, what is it, like a three by six, like pop-up table in yeah. the corner. Yeah. And then I've, I've slowly been able to expand it more. Mm, take territory, Lindsay. I do. What yes. can I say? I'm just like, I just accumulate resources and build things. That's what I try to do. Yeah, that's what I try and do too. Yeah. I have the garage at my house, but like over time, I've been trying to slowly ask my family, like, do we need these two beds in the garage? Mm. They're full beds. We all have our beds. <laughs> We all sleep in our own beds. I mean, that's when you sleep. Why we got extra beds? <laughs> it's for the uh, the young apprentice potters. Okay. So anyway, so when I got my wheel, that made a huge difference for like how much I was able to produce. And then same thing when I got my kiln as well. So I got my wheel first, and uh, and then spent. I was still volunteering at Sac City, but m more so making my work at home and then bringing it to Sac City to be to be fired. Right. Um, Shout out to the teachers who do that, by the oh, way. Oh hell yeah! You real MVPs. Yeah. 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 I mean, at, at one time, I, I think it's at a certain level not fair to other students to like take a class and be an expert potter and like produce through the school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But at another time, if you're if you're renting out or trying to like slide in other students works that you really support as an artist mm -hmm. then like shout out to you yeah real yeah. talk and i think most of them understand that there's a difference between like mass producing work yes. and like helping uh, helping out a student who's in that transition of going from yes. student to more professional absolutely so i would hope they would get the nuance of that yes i would hope so too because they're artists yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> So after, uh, or when I started working again, um, part of the reason I ended up choosing chocolate fish coffee roasters to work is I had never, like, I, I wanted to know more about what functional ceramics go through in a cafe environment because oh, yes. at that time I, like, I, like, low-key was like, hey, maybe one day I'll, like, get to make surfware for a cafe. And then, of course, two years later, hey! I, I get to work with Insight, which was amazing. Have you guys listened to the other episodes of the podcast where Lindsay... Oh, I'm spinning in my chair. Where, where Lindsay has her work inside of a cafe. Inside two cafes. Inside two cafes. <laughs> yeah, I get sucked on. Oh, I'm, 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 it's, it's been amazing. So I'm dizzy. No, no. John, did you not throw up? I have to, I have to clean I'm, it up. I'm good. I'm a monster. I'll probably just swallow it. Oh, no. That's disgusting. I know. <laughs> so, so I started working at Chocolate Fish. And again, still, like, during this whole time, I was basically working part-time. Like, I think the most right. hours I worked at Chocolate Fish was, like, 30 hours. No, yeah, like, 30 hours a week at the very beginning. And, uh, and then basically over the last, what, like, three, two, three years, two and a half years? 
when I was working there, I was slowly reducing my hours. So right. I started working like five days a week, then I went down to four days a week, then three, then two. And by the time I ended up quitting in January, I was only working one day a week. And for me, that very slow progression was important because I was so afraid of making this unprepared leap into a void and not uh, setting myself up for success. Right. Because I didn't want to like make this leap, go, oh crap, like I haven't, I haven't prepared and now I fail and now I have to go back to working at the cafe. It's like, I didn't want to have to do that. Right. So some things were very planned. Like I had a structure of like, okay, I get, if I can prove to myself that I can stay on a studio schedule and like treat my work days like work days, yeah. you know, then, then I'll reward myself by asking for more days off from, from work at Chocolate Fish. I see. Yeah. But other things were, were not planned. Like, like the thing with working with Insight, like that was more... I almost want to say like a pipe dream because I didn't actually expect that it would end up happening. Of course. But it's like, so there have been lots of things that have been unanticipated. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and while all of this is going on, I started going to conventions more. So yes. I started selling at like uh, Curtis Fest, which is a small uh, summer pop-up market. Then I did Sinister Creature Con, started doing Sack Anime. I've done Fanime a couple of times. So it's Fanime hard. Is great, by the way. I love Fanime. I'm so yeah. sad that it couldn't happen this year, but of yeah. course, you know, because of COVID, it needed it. It was, it would have been irresponsible to still host a convention. I still want to go to Fanime, but not as a seller. If yeah. that makes sense, like I would just like to go. Yeah. But now I feel like I'm too old. No, man. There's hell of people that are around our age. Because like last time I went, it was like a like a. It was just younger. It was a younger group, and I had this weird feeling of like, am I an old weeaboo now? I mean, that doesn't mean you can't go to a convention. That's I'm an old, I'm an old weeaboo too, bro. Like, yeah, that's fair. You're good. You're good. Like, what is this weird giant weeb with a military haircut doing with Naruto clothes on? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, as far as my progression went, it went from, it went from me being, and if you listen to the previous podcast, you'll know, it went from me being heartbroken to finding a passion for clay to taking all the classes underneath Yosho Taylor mm -hmm. to the point where at the end of that, he was like, you need to grow. You you have a skill that I want to nurture in you. And then after that, the Trump thing happened. Yeah. Right? And then after that, I was angry <laughs> at my yeah. own government for for defunding art programs, which yeah. taxpayer programs. And then I found out I would do it myself, and I've slowly gotten better at editing and making videos. Yeah. And following some of the same progression that Yosho laid down in his classrooms, mm -hmm. I mirror a lot of it, but I think the one, the one turning point is that I'm just... I'm good at explaining things to people who don't get it physically or naturally yet. They're not like savants at it mm. because I was horrible, <laughs> right? So I think I've I've got a certain skill not for teaching, but instead for explaining things as if like here's the key to the thing that you were looking for. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like oh, you've been trying to do this. Think about it this way instead. And usually people are like oh, that's what I've been. That one little bit is what I've been missing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it went from there to where we are now at, at a bunch of YouTube and online stuff. But only recently I've op I opened my website because people would be like, you helped me so much. You helped me pass my class. Everything I learned is either from you or online sources. I want to buy a piece of your work. Yeah. And so after a while I was like, fine, I'll <laughs> open up a website. Luckily for me, uh, the COVID thing had like just opened when I opened my website. Yeah. So people were like, dude, we don't have a physical place to buy. Give us a fictitious one. Fictitious mm. as if it's not real. But, you know, <laughs> a, virtual, I, a virtual. A virtual yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I went through those steps and, you know, the steps are definitely arduous. But now that it's kind of set up, 
I restock my store once a month, and I keep doing my, I call myself a pseudo teacher, the pseudo lessons, and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fairly, I don't want to say easy, because I've built a system in which it makes it easy for me. Yeah. But nearly all my time on a daily basis is spent towards my craft and helping other people where other people would not help me. The one thing yeah. that I that I really wanted for myself is that when I wanted to come up in the art world, a lot of people would basically be like, buzz off, kid. And mm. I try to make it a point to answer Instagram, Facebook, emails, you know, online, anything to help people with their stuff and make videos on those things. When, so as you've, as you've added these various things to the core part of your business, like how do you decide how or in what way to progress? Like, is it kind of, cause it, what I'm hearing is that it sounds like so much of it is kind of, is just based on feedback. Like you, yeah. you, like you got the website because enough people were like, Hey, Hey, we want to like get your, we want to like support you and like right. own one of your pieces. Cause you had such this impact. Right. Cause I feel like one of the things that I struggle with in my own business is finding a way to balance maintaining the things that I'm already doing and maintaining them well. Right. But recognizing that to get to the place where I want to be financially, where I can continue to make this my primary source of income, right. I need to expand in certain ways. Of course. So, yeah. so how do you, how do you navigate maintaining the things that you're already doing well and then introducing new parts into your business? At least in my mind, it's separate where like I have core curriculum videos and then I have fun videos and then I have like sponsored, like I'm sponsored by Amico. Yeah. So I do glazer views on my channel of Amico glazes. Mm -hmm. That for me is partly educational, partly fun. Yeah. Right. And yeah. partly business. Yeah. But then I also like, I'm not sponsored by Laguna, but like I just, a video is going to come out fairly soon on crystalline glazes. Oh yeah. From Laguna mm -hmm. that I, I bought a jar of theirs because I want to slowly make my own crystal glazes. I want experience with it. Yeah. So I'm hitting two birds with one stone in that way. But that also is not educational whatsoever. That's basically a glazer view with extra steps. Okay. The educational stuff for me comes in where I've just made a video on how to make a bottle form and how to morph them. But it's it's still a progression. So what I usually do is I think to myself, okay, have they learned how to make a cylinder? Yes. Have they learned how to choke a cylinder? Yes. What is a bottle? A bottle is pretty much a cylinder that you choked in. Yeah. And that's, that's my progression. Okay. So at least in my mind, I'm going... Are they ready for bottles? Mm, how do, do they know how to do the steps that lead up to a bottle? Yes. Okay, cool. We can do a video on bottles. Okay. And that's how I decide that progression. Okay. So for things like, because at some point you stopped doing conventions. Yeah. So how did you make that decision? It was, it was too expensive. Bringing my stuff into a car, renting a truck because I don't have a truck or an SUV, bringing it all the way on a two or three hour drive to San Jose, um, and then setting up my stuff paying an assistant to help me out with bathroom breaks, feeding them, paying for the hotel, mm. and then paying the setup fee for a table. Like, it just became more time, and taking time off work. Oh, it, okay. it became more time consuming. It became more energy. It became more effort than it was to simply have people pay me and then me send it off in the USPS. And at that time, before you opened up your website, how were people purchasing your work? They weren't. I did not sell my work for a very long time. Oh, wait, but when you said that if it, it was easier to, you said it was easier to ship, ship the work and then send it. Yes. The stages in between selling my work at a table uh -huh. and me opening up USPS program in a store mm -hmm. was like a year or and a half okay. in between. So in between the year, like in between the years of my last Fanime table uh -huh. and right now when I have the website open, it's 
been almost two years, a year and a half in between those two. Okay. And I only sold stuff to very few people who would email me and be like, hey, I really want to buy your work. I'll pay you for it. Okay. Very rarely. So it was essentially, it was, it was commissions. But kind very, of. very, like, limited commissions. So very it, limited. Okay, so that t- point in time, your income was primarily coming from your ad yeah. revenue on YouTube and then through Patreon. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. If it wasn't through those two... And you, YouTube is stingy. They don't give you nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, patrons are really the ones who keep this content going. Okay, okay. If, you know... But, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much where I am now. And mm-hmm. you have your Etsy. You yeah, also have so, your own website. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have my, I've had my own website for a few years. It's gone through a couple like revisions because I think I opened up my original website in like 2014 or something, but right. I remade it. Um, but it's interesting because for, for me, like Etsy really only became more of an income earner for me in this last like maybe six to eight months. Right. Because for a long time, like most of my income was actually through doing events, like going to conventions. Because for... such a hassle though. They are in some ways, but for, for me, part of the reason why they're still worth my, my time and energy and expense mm-hmm. is, um, it, well, it's a few different reasons. First of all, it's because my following right now is still relatively small. Like I think at this point I have like 2,300 followers on Instagram and I don't have a YouTube. I don't have a Patreon. I don't have those other streams of income. Right. For me, going out to a convention is not only a way to connect in person with the people that I've met online, but it also, it's a way for me to meet, meet other people who might be interested in my work. Of course. So the way, the way that I set it up to try and cut down on some expenses is like, like SAC anime for me is not particularly expensive for me to go to because it's here in Sacramento. Right. Again, I'm lucky enough to have a supportive family that, you know, cause I don't own a car. Right. That's another thing that helps keep my expenses low. But I'm again, lucky enough to have a family that will help me bring things to and from like the convention center or wherever the, wherever the event is being hosted. So I, I'm able to keep expenses low because I actually, I don't hire an assistant. Like I'll have Cody, my boyfriend, cause usually he's going to these events anyway. Yeah. So he'll like come by the table. He'd be like, babe, like, do you need any food? Do you need, are you out of water? But for the most part, like I'm behind the booth by myself, which I actually really like. Yeah. Cause no one thinks the other person's the artist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Happens to me all the time. Oh man. With, uh, with you and, uh. Me and the queen. Princess. Or, yeah, yeah. Cause she like, she's, she looks like she's an artist. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm I'm like a 200 pound either have an afro or a military haircut male mm-hmm. with like bra. I'm very stout. So like when you look at like the girl crocheting at the table <laughs> versus me, you're like, I wonder which one is the artist. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, most people think it's her. Yeah, that's interesting. It's yeah. They 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 already have a preconceived notion in their mind of like what does an artist look like? Well, clearly it's not Boulder Boy over there. Yeah. I think one of the things I enjoy so much is like when people see my sculptures, they often seem surprised that it's me who's made them. They're so amazing. Thank you. I, I, I love them. But it's interesting because it's like, again, like we associate different styles of artwork with like different genders or different like representations of like yes. who this person is. But that's a whole other episode. Yeah, a- but yeah, but I, I find ways, at least right now, to like... The expenses that I that I put forth to do tabling events are vastly made up by how much I I earn at those events. Yes. Um, so for me, that balance still still works. And that that's kind of where we are now. Is yeah. You have an Etsy. I have a website. You're, we're starting the podcast clearly mm-hmm. with you, and then I have YouTube, and we're just and Patreon and Patreon, mm-hmm. and we're kind of we're kind of a little team right now. Yeah.
that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Mud Peddlers with Lindsay M. Dillon and Dante of Earth Nation. Want to say hi and see what Dante and I are working on in our studios? Check out the show notes for links to our websites and social media below. You can find me at lindsaymdillon.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-M as in monster, D-I-L-L-O-N.com. And on Etsy, Instagram, and Facebook at Lindsay M. Dillon. And you can find me at Earth Nation Ceramics. It's spelled exactly how you think it's spelled. But you can also find me on my Facebook fan page and Instagram at the same name at Earth Nation Ceramics. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today or you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, take a second to rate and review The Mud Peddlers in Apple Podcasts. It helps our podcast reach new listeners and we really appreciate the feedback. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time.